0: $25 each.
1: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek
0: to buy now. That's livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
2: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
1: Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. They call me Ben, and you are you. And if you are a longtime
2: listener of the show, stuff they don't want you to know, then you already realize a couple of things. First, you're the most important part of the show. We appreciate your time, whether it's your first episode
1: or your how many episodes do we
2: have? Matt? I thought you were
1: going to say your last episode. Please don't make this your last episode.
2: I hope not. I hope not. Uh, stay safe out there, folks. Uh, but longtime listeners, you may notice a conspicuous was absence. That's right. Our uh, super producer, the third amigo, if we were doing that movie, Noel the Madman Brown is out for a moment, but never fear. He shall return. And in his absence, uh, Matt and I are going to explore something that Noel and I stumbled across quite recently. So, yeah, so Noel, I'll, I'll do my best to represent for you here.
1: Well, I appreciate you being here, Ben, to talk about this. This is very cool. You and Noel and what, Scott and mm-hmm. Casey, a producer here at How Stuff Works, mm-hmm. Scott, the co-host uh, with you on Car Stuff, you guys went on a bit of a journey. Yes,
2: in early October, uh, Scott Benjamin, uh, my co-host on Car Stuff and I, uh, took up a a listener named uh, Glenn Beck on his invitation to participate in a road rally for charity this was uh this was specifically the ohio Valley seven hundred road rally for raising money for an outfit called uh cure which is to which is um, not just raising awareness of epilepsy but attempting to cure the condition gotcha. And we took along uh, Casey and Noel as a two-person crew to film what ended up being a massive road trip from Atlanta to Hershey, Pennsylvania, from Hershey, Pennsylvania to Deep Creek, Maryland, from Deep Creek, Maryland to Snowshoe, West Virginia, from Snowshoe, West Virginia to Athens, Ohio, and then homeward bound without the cute animals uh, and it was it was a long it was a long drive it was a rally not a race and we saw some amazing things but we ran into a strange situation in West Virginia and that is the subject of our podcast today you see there is an area there in the eastern united states that encompasses much of the eastern half of west virginia Parts of Virginia proper and even a little, little bit of Maryland, like a, a yeah, tiny, tiny little tip. Yeah. A tiny, tiny amount. And this massive area encompassing pieces of three states is about, is a square, essentially mm-hmm. about yeah. 13,000 square miles. And in this area,
1: cell phones just don't work. Completely, like your the phone doesn't work, or the service doesn't work. The service, okay.
2: The service or the signal will just not not work. No bars. No bars. Radio stations go dead. There's nothing but white noise on the radio. People who live in this area uh, are allegedly instructed not to own microwaves. Wait, you, you notice that pay phones are still around there, and they're actively used because there's not an alternative.
1: Oh, man. Okay. I've, I've got three things to throw at you really fast. Please do. The person who invited you to go on this rally, his name is Glenn Beck? Yes. No Not, relation. Okay, no relation. Okay, number two. Uh, really briefly, what is the difference between a race and a rally? Because I have no idea. Okay. So the difference between a race and a
2: rally is that... In a race there you're centered on winning. And a race, just in the largest terms, could be described uh in, in several different metrics. So maybe the best time mm-hmm. or the highest amount of laps or the um or just surviving in sure, some sure. cases. And a rally, which also can take several different forms, uh a rally is more about the experience of driving. While there are going to be it's quite possible there will be awards for okay. different things, you know. Uh, that is not the... That doesn't have to be the sole purpose of a rally. So the rally that we did, the the primary purpose of this was to raise money to cure epilepsy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for us to come in first place. And we were doing essentially a scavenger hunt, finding different locations throughout the the course of the days. The rally itself was about three days. So that would be the difference, is that a race is all about... Forget everyone else. I need first place.
1: Mm -hmm. And a rally is a little bit more about the journey. Got you. Got you. So when you're, okay, when you're finding places during the scavenger hunt, is it, do you, do they just give you like map points or something or like, do you have to solve clues? Like how, how do you figure out? You have to solve clues. That's pretty cool.
2: Uh, you have to solve clues that will take you to various checkpoints, and checkpoints are worth a number of points. You will also get what's called a route card, which uh, gives you points of interest that you might run into, mm-hmm. and you just take a picture of your team or your car in front of that thing to prove that you were there. So, like, uh, Pennsylvania has something called Roadside Giants, and I think it was Pennsylvania. And you take a photo of your car next to one of these official roadside giants.
1: So As, like, proof of, hey, we were mm-hmm. here.
2: And those things might be worth 10 to 150 points. So nice. you add it up at the end of the day, and that's how they decide some stuff.
1: So I'm imagining you guys going on this road trip, and you're not exactly sure where you're going to go. Uh, you're driving through, I'm assuming you're heading north. Uh, so you're probably in Virginia. Heading through West Virginia or something like that at some point, and then you notice that you had no signal. Yeah, as we were as we were heading uh, into West
2: Virginia, uh, we realized that the signal died, and that is when we you know we did our best. We were very lucky because Scott is Scott's an old school guy, and so we were using. Cellular phone based GPS and, uh, mapping services. And of course, when those went out, we were flying blind, except for, and I was kicking myself because I usually bring a physical map, but mm-hmm. I, I just didn't think we'd need one for road rally, which in retrospect was <laughs> one of, one of the 14 mistakes I have made in my life. <laughs> sure. But the, uh, but the thing that Scott had that saved us was a, uh, an old-school GPS device called a Garmin. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had a Garmin, and, you know, its maps weren't all up to date, but it knew the, the big stuff doesn't change that often, mm-hmm. you know, so it was able to get us to and from destinations and get us out of what we learned eventually was, is called the United States National Radio Quiet Zone. Electronic silence for 13,000 square miles. That's
1: intense. That's All the right. idea. Well, yeah. Um, I'm trying to, I know some of this stuff, but I'm trying to envision exactly why you would have something like that, a, a state instituted area where there's essentially radio silence. Um, I know according to the people that created it, there was one big reason to have this place, mm-hmm. and it's because there were radio telescopes that are massive radio telescopes that they wanted yeah. to function with as little interference as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, specifically, the world's largest
2: steerable radio telescope, the Robert C. Bird Green Bank Telescope, or GBT. Mm. Uh, so it is... Enormous, it's ginormous. Its diameter is about a hundred meters. You can see this thing from miles away. Also, uh, you can't drive anything but diesel vehicles within a mile of this of this contraption. Wait, why is that? Because a, a non-diesel IC engine, internal combustion engine, the spark plugs can create electronic interference. Spark plugs. Yeah, You're man. kidding me. That Just that no. amount of energy is just a little... Bzz. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe pacemakers are the same. I'm not sure. But oh, the, wow. um, on the surface, this makes sense because for some people, the idea of a radio telescope is strange. But we talked about it in our video uh, earlier mm-hmm. last week, which is that light is just a, a wavelength that we see, right? Visible light. Sure. And it can be detected. By a telescope, and and radio waves can work in the same fashion. Yes, I I got you. So, just like a just like a telescope based in name a big city, Chicago. Just like a telescope based in the heart of Chicago, a a light telescope is going to have a tough time getting light emissions from these billions-year-old stars. And, and separating that from the ambient light of enormous skyscrapers and streetlights mm-hmm. and car headlights and stuff. A radio telescope can have a difficult time, uh, receiving these faint at times signals from the heavens and differentiating those from, you know, KPX yeah, sure. FM
1: 750. Yeah, the, if the spectrum is just full with mm-hmm. traffic from mm-hmm. other other sources, I, I can imagine that. That that makes a lot of sense. Hey, if we did a radio show, this is just a side question, Matt. Mm-hmm.
2: If we did a radio show, we would have to, you know, do our voices like this, this,
1: yeah. and then we'd also have to have nicknames, right? Yeah, you you have to do the man in the box what routine. Would, no, I get it. What would you? What would your nickname be? Uh, I wouldn't even go by Matt. It would have to be some kind of animal. Uh Let's go with mongoose. Something mongoose. Yeah, Is the Gooch a nickname already? I'm pretty sure that's taken, yeah.
2: <laughs> mongoose and the Gooch. Mm. And then we'd have the obnoxious Bang, like sound effects mm-hmm. all the time.
1: It might be good if you had a snake reference just to have that imagery conjured together with oh, like yeah, a mongoose yeah. and a snake. Yeah, but
2: I don't think Noel would want to be a serpentine kind of creature.
1: I don't know. You might be into it. I don't know. We'll have to
2: ask him. And, okay. and listeners, write in with your, uh, with your suggestions for our, uh, morning show, obnoxious DJ morning show names. Yes. Cause I, I think a lot of times people just modify one, one or two letters of their real name. So I would be like the bean, which is mm. just a terrible name. Anyhow, so our future as obnoxious morning show DJs aside, this, this telescope, needs this quiet area to collect this information. That's true. That's that's fundamentally true. That's just how these sorts of things work. The GPT has access to 85% of the celestial sphere. And so according to the National Radio Astronomy Observatory, uh, this, this enormous thing spends about 6,500 hours uh, every year being used for astronomy and two thousand to three thousand hours per year are available to high frequency science, and it's flexible. It can match needs to weather. It's it's a great scientific resource. It is also not the only thing in the radio quiet zone.
1: No, there's there are also small towns mm-hmm. kind of peppered throughout the area. Yeah, uh, where people just live there. Everyday lives go to work, come home. Watch some TV, I'm assuming? You can watch TV there, right? Yeah, you okay. did, Well, as so long as it's cable. Yeah, I
2: wonder. And then also you
1: have, um,
2: you have wired connections so people can use dial up and landlines and stuff. Okay. Okay. So they're not, you know, super isolated. Mm-hmm. You can get some Google fiber in there. <laughs> right. That'd be nice. Uh, so. The, one of the things that we found that's really interesting because we thought, oh, we gotta tell Matt about this and we have to look mm-hmm. into this. When we realized we were gonna make it out, of course, was that this is a place many people would rather not visit, much less live in. However. Yeah, we're all connected, right? Mhm. However, as, as fans of shows like Better Call Saul may realize, uh, there is a very specific percentage of the population that thinks this is paradise. You're talking about Chuck McGill? Mm-hmm. And specifically about electrosensitives. Uh, could you describe an electrosensitive?
1: Okay, so this is tough, and I don't want to offend anybody, anyone out there who feels like uh, they are an electrosensitive, but just to put it in uh, basic terms, it's that in some way or another, the signals from Wi-Fi, signals from cellular service, uh, the electromagnetic radiation from power lines sometimes, uh, from various electronic sources. Cell phones. Yeah. And r- really name anything that has electronics within it uh, has some sort of effect on them physically where it's causing them headaches, uh, other ailments, like physical ailments like that, mm-hmm. um, just an uneasiness. There are a lot of ailments that have been reported uh, having to do with electrosensitives, but they're not all the same, right? So uh-huh. one, one person may be reporting something very specific that somebody else doesn't have. Um, let's just quickly go with the Chuck McGill example from Better Call Saul. He uh, forces his brother and others to leave their cell phones outside of his home. He has no electricity in his home. Uh, because again, he feels like it's affecting him physically. And I know he's a fictional character, but he is, he's a good example in pop culture currently. Yeah, yeah, he's the, the
2: most recent go-to example with the most, um, recognizable symptoms. Or he's mm-hmm. the most recognizable example of that. So people are going to these towns in the quiet zone. To escape this um, this condition that they believe they have, and they've been doing this for a while actually this is not a new development. The quiet zone was established by the FCC back in nineteen fifty eight yeah it's been around for a while mm-hmm. and the people in these towns have had a continual struggle as as technology evolves around them so there were people who there, there was a story that came out called The Town Without Wi-Fi that mm-hmm. showed that this might potentially be an unsustainable situation. Uh, for instance, here's here's a good thing. Um, here's a good example, rather. In 2007, there was a government mandate for tire pressure sensors in all new cars, but the telescope business manager, Mike Holstein, pointed out those give off a radio signal those tire pressure sensors that interfere with the telescope and said the technology around us changes all the time. Even the smallest thing has repercussions. So there are electrosensitives that are going here, but the concern is that the telescope facility might eventually get shut down uh, in 2017 due to a funding issue. Mm-hmm. So this might not be sustainable for those of you who are listening and believe that you have electrosensitivity be, be careful, be, be cautious plan if you're planning to move to this place. It may not be as uh, sure
1: a bet as you want. You can only see the telescope though. It's 485. Yeah. Years old. <laughs> I, I'm imagining it being a very difficult situation if you do choose to move out there. If you're trying to rely on finding a job of any sort mm-hmm. in an isolated area like that, I can only imagine there's so many job openings You know, within within one of the small towns like Mm -hmm. that must not be a, a very common occurrence. But then also you couldn't really work. Well, I guess you could work remotely if you were just using your Ethernet in your home.
2: Sure. Or through the post.
1: Yeah, maybe through the post. <laughs> Just all of your mail, like, correspondence with your job goes through the post. There are a lot of writers who do that. Yeah, where... oh yeah, okay, so sure. It... But that's a very, very limited community. Well, yeah, so, so many jobs rely on an internet connection mm-hmm. nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's fascinating.
2: So here's something that might, um, make people worried about the place closing feel a little bit better. They chose this Location, the FCC chose this location because it was already naturally given to buffering signals, or excuse me, to, uh, preventing outside frequencies in this ah. valley. Because it's in the Allegheny Mountains. Yep. And those that those massive amounts of rock already naturally restrict stuff. So what they did is they used technology to accelerate the already existing tendencies of this piece of land. And they chose this piece of land not just because of the mountains. There are other places like that. Mm-hmm. But they chose it because there were economic circumstances too. Uh, the town had little established industry, Green Bank. And in the opinion of Uncle Sam, had little potential for one, so you wouldn't build this massive telescope, and then have you know a uh, a population boom later. Yep. Also, it sat on the thirty eighth parallel, so it gives a just a stunning, perfect view of the Milky Way, nice. as perfect as we can get. And then, of course, there are children who live here, and they are. And they're trying to get around the rules uh, by making, you know, their own hotspots using mobile phones to find workarounds so that they're not as shut out of the world. Uh, this this has created a divide when um, the new newer people move to town, just as electrosensitives. Uh, here's here's a brief reading from the Washingtonian about. The experience that someone had when they, when they felt they were having an attack. Monique Grimes had just moved to Florida for a new job when the syndrome started. On the third morning in her St. Petersburg apartment, she woke with a harsh thumping in her chest, heart palpitations. Within hours, it felt as if someone had tied a thick rubber band around her head. Then came nausea, fatigue, ringing in her left ear, an onslaught of maladies all at once and she had no idea why. I was trying to come up with every excuse in the world for what was happening to me," she says. Moving is stressful, but the symptoms kept piling on. Well, so she was having issues um, speaking. She couldn't form coherent sentences. She saw an internist, neurologist, a psychiatrist. They had no explanation, and then she um, she ended up becoming part of this electro sensitivity, electrosensitive community, Mm -hmm. and she is one of the people who moved to uh, Green Bank and to, you know, this area of West Virginia. So one by one, in ones and twos and threes, the electrosensitives move to Green Bank. And this is a town that originally had 143 people in there. So there's been some... um, there has been some tension between the the newer residents and the long-time residents because the electro-sensitives are asking things that the that the members of Greenbank community don't care for so there's a sheriff there at the time his name was David Jones and he said that the electrosensitives want everybody in stores and restaurants to change their lighting, turn their lights off, which creates some issues. Yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Or that these people are coming in and asking churches not to use wireless microphones, don't use cell phones as cameras around them. Uh, and then people began protesting that these folks were just unnecessarily complicating the lives of people around them. Yeah, of the 140 some people that live there. Right, right, right. And then it's not the only, this isn't the only gripe the old, the old timers have because they were also growing angry with people that they considered to be dangerous, um, being ushered into the community because of their perceived electrosensitivity. So another article here, uh, just read a quote. A few years ago, one disturbed electrosensitive flew into a rage at the local library, decrying the dumb hillbillies who surrounded her. As the story goes, she rampaged from the post office to the bank to the auto shop, belligerently screaming pol- before police finally ticketed her and banned her from a couple places around town. This woman has since moved. Jeez. So this... This idea here was, you know, it, it escalated and you can see both sides of it pretty, pretty easily because people who believe they have electrosensitivity believe that they have a solid, um, a solid dangerous and potentially lethal medical condition. And then the people who have been there for a while think that they're being asked to transform their entire day to day life for a stranger.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know? I can, the only, I'm trying to think of the closest thing I can come to as an understanding of what it would be like, but it kind of reminds me of gluten sensitivity or something like that. If you're a restaurant owner mm-hmm. and someone uh, has, like truly has a gluten sensitivity or what a, um, I forget what that, what the official names for those are called. Well, uh, people with celiacs. Celiac disease, do, yes.
2: Do have gluten sensitivity.
1: So yeah, I mean, then having to change your, your whole menu, uh, for somebody or at least come up with something on the fly. I'm, I can imagine having a, even a small group of people when it's proportionally large, uh-huh. uh, come into a town, I can imagine how it would throw things off and then there would be all kinds of animosities generated there. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, yeah, that's not, that's not too bad of a comparison. It's even more, uh, more critical, I would say, in a situation where it's electricity rather than an ingredient commonly found in food because we rely so heavily on electricity as a species. But that's not the only thing, again, in the quiet zone. But. Those two things we mentioned so far, the Green Bank Telescope and the electrosensitive communities, are not, as we said before, the only things in the quiet zone.
1: And we will learn about that right after a quick word from our sponsor.
4: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: and we are back and you know what that means here's where it gets crazy you see matt listeners
2: no as you are here in spirit the bird telescope the green bank telescope is not the only show in town or it wasn't for a long time there was another place called sugar grove station a U.S. government communication site located in Pendleton County, West Virginia. Because here's the thing about a place where no wireless signals can exist. It's also good for preventing preventing remote compromise, essentially hacking. Mm -hmm. You want to store stuff where people can't get to it, then you remove it from the cloud or from any possible interference from an outside source. So the National Security Agency operated this, and it, according to an article by the New York Times, in its heyday, the Sugar Grove Station intercepted all international communications entering the United States. And this fell under something called Naval Information Operations Command. In 2013, the Chief of Naval Operations said the site was going to be closed by September 30th of 2015 because they wanted to relocate the command's mission. Uh, Part of the base had been transferred to General Services Administration for sale while another part of the base in the south continues to operate. So when it first started, it was in the 1960s, just a few years after the Quiet Zone was created. Uh, with a 600-foot radio telescope that would gather intelligence on Soviet radar and radio signals reflected from the moon. What? Yeah, and then it was halted in 1962 before it was completed, and then it was developed as a radio uh, receiving station, the Naval Radio Station Sugar Grove, uh, there in 1969 on May 10th. And they added other antennas, dishes, domes, and what have you. Uh, and they also have... Uh, another telescope. They have several other dishes. And they weren't operating alone. They were part of something else that we've talked about in the past a network that spans nations and spans borders <gasps> and the globe. Are you talking about Echelon? Yes. Also, no way. Also known as Five Eyes. Yeah, this is, uh, this was a secret code name, Project Echelon for a surveillance program, signal intelligence collection and analysis for five different countries, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States, hence the name Five Eyes. Originally started in the 60s to monitor communications of the Soviets and Soviet allies during the Cold War. Of course, it went wrong, the (laughs) opponents would say, because... It was monitoring everything. It's that vacuum cleaner approach. So they have other, um, they have other projects that are under the Echelon system, right? You'll, you'll hear, um, you'll hear things like, uh, software programs like Silkworth, Sire, a satellite named Vortex. Uh, these are all, these are all affiliated with Echelon. Here's the way the Guardian described, uh, Project Echelon a global network of electronic spy stations that can eavesdrop on telephones, fixes, and computers. It can even track bank accounts. This information is stored in Echelon computers, which can keep millions of records on individuals. Officially, however, Echelon does not exist.
1: I'm getting such a Kiwi vibe from that. I know, I went (laughs) Kiwi so hard. Sorry,
2: guys. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of... Well, long time listeners, you know that we've been working on our Kiwi accents and it Mm -hmm. started Michael Caine and then it went through a flight of the Concords toward the end. Well, I'll keep working at it, (laughs) but, uh, atrocious accent impersonation aside, uh, that is, that is a pretty good summary of it. And people do know that it exists. European Parliament investigated this in 2000, 2001. It wasn't confirmed to exist by Uncle Sam until two NSA newsletters from 2011 and 2012, uh, which were published um, as part of the Snowden revelations on 2015. For the first time, they confirmed that the NSA did use this code word. And it was part of an umbrella program called Frosting, which was developed all the way back in 1966. So they're, um, they're listening. All our old jokes about that intern Steve, uh, (laughs) might be, might be more, less funny
1: and and more real than we thought. Hey Ben, I just found something. Mm. Uh, So on uh, public.navy.mil, one of the official public Navy sites. It states that Sugar Grove, uh the Navy's presence in Sugar Grove began in nineteen Mm-hmm. That's interesting, right? That the station is there, then in nineteen fifty-eight, the quiet zone is established.
2: And then in the nineteen sixties they began building the
1: telescopes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my thinking my thinking is that the Navy has a much deeper hand in this uh then maybe is let on
2: yeah or or the NSA or ultimately you know once you get this far into the alphabet soup of government agencies who really does run the show who pulls the strings
1: well yeah cuz i i feel like the navy information operations command at sugar grove was like the big ticket thing there
2: one of the old rules that i i invented but i i can't get out of my head is that What's the best way to say it? The more bland and the more innocuous the name of an agency is, the more dangerous that agency yeah. becomes. If, sure. you, if you ever meet someone who's asking you strange questions and they say they work for uh, the U.S. subcommittee on
1: collected remarks or something, <laughs> run.
2: I made that up, but Run. <laughs>
1: Don't run. They're just they're just trying to get some helpful information from you. I don't think you want to be a collected remark, whatever that means. <laughs> but this
2: um this, this aside, uh we had some great feedback on our video regarding the quiet zone and one thing that uh, a lot of people brought up, which we wanted to bring up on the show here, is that Sugar Grove was placed uh was placed uh on the market for Mm -hmm. sale. Uh and for a time it looked like it was going to be purchased for about eleven point two million dollars uh just as as recently as July of this year. However, that failed and uh the bidding is open now um open September. So If you would like to buy a town that was formerly one of the listening posts for a pretty pretty dangerous broad brush intelligence program and you got some money to burn, hey, why not Sugar Grove? I don't know if you'll be able to, even if you own the town,
1: institute too much wireless activity. Yeah, so true. But that is incredible that there is a, an entire town for sale. All of the buildings, everything, you just buy it and it's yours. We could make one heck of a commune, Ben, or a cult. I don't know. Yeah. I've been thinking about a cult. Do you think, do you think we, if
2: we started a cult though, I would want it to do something, um, more productive <sighs> or interesting than what cults usually do. It could be an
1: anti-technology cult. We could start like a big, movement there but what if we still had to have a website well you know (laughs) (laughs) um
2: yeah that's that's not bad or also we could create a um we could do one of those spin-offs or excuse me secessionist movement i think spinoff is not not a very um not formal enough to describe that but yeah it seems like it's spot on for a secessionist movement it could be a collection of stuff my question would be if you're buying a town what sort of research do you need to do? You need to know shipping routes. You need to know if there's access to fresh water. You need to know if it's possible to live off the land. Like how independent or codependent would this would this area be? Um, and with the restrictions placed on the people living there, would we be able to get people to move to our cult? And then also what kind of people are going to join an anti-technology cult?
1: Uh, there's got to be some of them out there. We could get um, most of the the people who identify as electrosensitive. I think we could get them there if we could provide, you know, the right source resources. Uh, if we had a if we had a whole foods. That's all that's all we <laughs> need, we need a I, whole foods. Uh, yeah, that just, has no electricity. Okay. See <laughs> there are problems with this. It's problematic.
2: I, I know. Cause I wouldn't want our cult to exploit anybody, but we did a great video, oh, years back now, Matt, about how to start a cult and mm-hmm. how cults work, which features some uh, compelling performances by... You and Jonathan uh, and uh, Scott yeah. and Chuck. Yeah, and you're the cult leader that we refer to. You're our Tartuffe, our Godot. Was not my idea. <laughs> It wasn't, and I, I have apologized in the past for springing that on you and making you a messianic figure, but I think it works. So with this... With this... Bizarre situation, this lack of transparency, it's like, it's kinda like Hitchcock's theory on monsters, you know, the stuff that happens off screen is scarier than anything you can depict, uh, in a concrete way. So we have these swarms of, uh, conspiracy theories and questions about the nature of this, of this zone. And as people, as more people learn about this, And there, there are more and more people who are saying, you know, oh, this is a perfect place for me because of my electrosensitivity, Mm -hmm. right? Which at this point, according to peer reviewed research, remains a very controversial diagnosis with a lot of people doing self diagnosis. Yeah. So you can, of course, have sympathy or empathy for people in this situation who know fundamentally that they have some sort of condition, but then are being told that It's not diagnosable or it's not real or it's all in your head. So a place like this is very much a refuge. And I would say that given the – despite the fact that they're having funding problems and may close stuff down, I don't know the extent of the infrastructure that would restrict signals. I don't know the extent to which it would survive after these things get closed down. And, you know, some people, of course, would would love for it to be closed down. Like, imagine, you're a kid, you're 14 years old,
1: you're growing up in that area. You want to move. Yeah, you want to get out as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. I want to hop into some of the theories around uh, what this Navy station did.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: The, one of the big ones I've read in a lot of places, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but less reputable sources online where people are discussing the extraterrestrial connection. Hmm. And what they're doing is connecting up, uh, the, the Navy and this radio telescope. And what they're saying is that there is, there was at some point after. 1948 1947, 1948, communication between an extraterrestrial race and the Navy, and it occurred through that radio telescope.
2: Ha- I have heard people saying that if you want to find aliens, the the Quiet Zone would be one of the best places to look. We know that a lot of very big fish in the human species are pouring a lot of money into uh renewing the search for extraterrestrial civilization Mm -hmm. or the um or the remnants of it, which would be much more likely for us to find. Uh, A Russian billionaire named Yuri Milner uh just gave a hundred million or recently gave a hundred million dollars to SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Mm -hmm. Center at uh Berkeley, University of California. And these things are operating on these things have been operating on a shoestring budget for a while, but they're hoping to use that money uh as of it was twenty fifteen that happened. They were hoping to use that money to rent out some time at the Green Bank telescope to search for uh to search for the stuff that SETI would search for you know extraneous signals, another wow signal things like that mm. and the the logic for renting out the green bank telescope is is pretty solid because the logic there is that this is the place where we would most likely be able to hear something right to to sense something because even even the smallest amount of interference can can completely void our listening ability or render it you know statistically insignificant like uh you know those greeting cards that you open up and they play music Mm-hmm. Right? So you open it up, it's like, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. Okay, copyright. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Thanks. <laughs> um, that can interfere with these kind of readings. Um So there's going to be other listening, there are going to be other listening operations, but it is true that at least some forces, if they don't believe that extraterrestrials, have made contact with the human species. They believe that Green Bank is the place to start.
1: Well, it's a good place to receive signals, mm-hmm. if if there are any. Mm-hmm. Um, then one of the one of the pieces of evidence that was noted in uh, the forum where I was reading this was that there was a 1924 uh, telegram sent by the Chief of Naval Naval Operations Edward W. Eberl, mm-hmm. Eberl, mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just instructing the Navy at the time to make sure to listen in to any possible radio communications that are coming from Mars. And this was referring to a particular time when Mars was, I guess, closest to the Earth as huh. it would be in the orbits. Uh, but, yeah, he's just saying note and report any electrical phenomenon unusual with of unusual character and uh, cover wideband frequencies as possible from twenty four hundred august twenty first to twenty four hundred august twenty fourth mm-hmm wait what twenty first to the twenty fourth okay oh and the whole thing was uh be careful of interfering traffic so the whole point in this this forum was that this is the perfect place to have no interfering traffic and to just pinpoint a place and listen and possibly receive signal the only problem being that Space is huge. It's <laughs> immense. It's massive. Radio signals are not very fast.
2: And uh for those of you who've checked out our earlier episodes on the search for extraterrestrial or even extra-dimensional life, we're um, well aware that at least in the terms of extraterrestrial, still staying within our uh neighborhood of time and space, the the massive distances between between um one civilization and the next in terms not only of physical space, but in terms of time mm-hmm. mean that, uh, how did we say it last time? Mean that not only is it way more probable that other civilizations have existed or will exist just because of the size of space, that same factor makes it almost certain that we will never talk to anyone at least if the same rules of time and space remain constant, which they may not always apply. You know, we know what goes on in our our area of reality. We know what, generally, we know what occurs. But we're kind of like, let's see, Matt, you you have more experience with video games than I do. You know, in role-playing games or in strategy games, like, I guess, civilization or something, certain... Parts of the map will be blocked off and uh, invisible. Sure. Or in horror movies when someone's looking with that of course inevitably dying flickering flashlight. That's, that's how we're approaching reality. And if you look at the really, really big stuff and if you look at the really, really small stuff, quickly realize that we're off the map. Mm-hmm. You know, the, we, we know some things exist. We can't explain them. We have much less of an idea about the nature of the universe than people would have us believe. And so the best we can do is boldly make, uh, boldly make big swings as they would say in the corporate world with things like searching for alien life. Even, if, even if we know the odds are so, so stacked against us. Who knows? Maybe maybe we discover something that i don't know how like beautiful and heartbreaking would it be to go to another planet and discover something billions and billions of years old most clearly you know just left behind i always think about that stuff too man when when i'm gonna throw away things
1: <laughs> for real
2: yeah because <laughs> i'm thinking you know Thousands of years from now, if this thing is still around, it'll be in a museum. Gosh. I mean, look, the the older a civilization gets, the more important the stuff they left behind becomes.
1: So true. It's so true and so weird. Ben, before we get off aliens, I just wanted to ask you if you had seen the WikiLeaks Podesta emails that were just, they just came out? I have heard of these, but I have not read them yet. So there's one on there. And... It, it isn't that significant for various reasons that we'll get into, but it is fascinating. It's a message from Edgar D. Mitchell. Uh huh. Uh, he is the chief science officer and founder of Quantrek. He's also an Apollo 14th astronaut and the sixth man to walk on the moon. That's what it says in his signature, and it's also true. Uh, Which is pretty awesome. He sent an email to Podesta and it says (laughs) it's urgent that we agree on a date and time to meet to discuss disclosure in zero point energy at your earliest available uh, after your departure. Uh, this is one of the emails. Uh, it says a colleague is working on a new space treaty, citing involvement with Russia and China. However, with Russia's extreme interference in U- in Ukraine, I believe we must pursue another route for peace in space and ZPE on earth. Zero um, point. Energy. Yeah, zero point energy. He's talking about, um, uh, president Obama's childhood friend that he met and they discussed some of this stuff on the mission in Geneva. um, He's been talking with he's been talking with all these people, these influential governmental people about zero point energy. Um And again, these are just emails to uh Hillary Clinton. Right. And to the Obama administration uh by this guy. So it's not like it's there's a back and forth discussion. But in another email, he specifically talked about the ETIs and how they're going to bring us. Um, zero-point energy, and if we if we continue to have war, both on Earth and in space, then they're not going to bring us zero-point energy. Anyway, it's just a fascinating, fun thing to think about, that this former astronaut, right? I guess he's a former astronaut, mm-hmm. he's an astronaut, uh, mm-hmm. and was on one of the most important missions going to the moon.
2: And John Podesta, after that, was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager um, during the the most recent Clinton campaign. So it's interesting that we see, we see astronauts uh, talking about this or pursuing this because, you know, aside from all the scare tactics, which are, which are completely valid and I'll get to those in a second. The discovery of alien intelligence will be one of the most significant well, probably the most significant thing that has ever happened to us as a collective. The only thing that'll we'll compare with that will be uh machine consciousness, mm-hmm. which we'll probably run into first, and you know what if we're contacted through the vast gulfs of time and space by a machine consciousness you know we don't we don't talk about this too often because it hurts the human ego, but I often think about larger interspecial life cycles. Okay. So human beings uh, and others, uh, all of you listening now, if you are a human being like Noel, Matt, or so many other people, then you are an agglomeration of very, very tiny creatures. You are much more like a city or a town or a world than you are a single entity. And, Were these creatures capable of thought, this would probably amaze and befuddle them. The little things that live in your lower intestine aren't spending too much time thinking of your brain and management and whether you're going to call your high school
1: sweetheart. They may have no concept of what those things are.
2: Right, exactly. This would be absolutely irrelevant information to them unless the food would change yeah. Because of that situation. But I say that because if there's a symmetry to, if there's a symmetry to the universe, then it, we are erroneous when we assume that the human being or human civilization is the epitome of what reality has to offer because we're not doing that great of a job. I mean, we're doing something, I guess. We could get the good hustle award.
1: At, throw in that economy at the, oh,
2: geez, at the end. You're right. We have weird religions. That's yeah. <laughs> one. And, um and I'll say again, yes, you heard me correctly. The economy is another weird religion and future historians will no doubt have some condescending and very valid things to say about that kind of pursuit. But with that being said, what about this? I advanced to you this concept human beings are not the end goal of uh, of evolution or civilization any more so than the microbes living inside us were the end goal of evolution mm-hmm. right instead they are assisting a larger thing a gestalt uh thing and what if human beings what if our entire purpose our entire contribution as organic life forms is only to midwife a machine consciousness that does not suffer from the same dependencies upon environment as our species. What if all of the civilizations exploring the stars are essentially created by planet bound terrestrials? You know what I mean? What what it because what what is the alternative for an organic thing to live on that scale of time? It would be like um it would be like a microbe, right?
1: And it makes no sense to have a spacefaring biological entity that mm-hmm. just do- it doesn't compute. It makes so much more sense to have some kind of mechanical intelligence.
2: Right. Or to change the rules of the game, change the rule, the playing board. So encounter some sort of extra dimensional travel. Whoa. However, at this time, although we know, we know in the very, 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 very small infinitesimal scales, we know that something screwy is going on with time and space, right? But we don't know very much about the big, 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 big picture. And we don't know for sure what those effects are on contemporary time and space. Contemporary means occurring at the, at the same time. So the time and space that we are all sharing, whether you are hearing this podcast now or thousands of years from now, which is strange. We should probably do an update then. How did you get to this point where you're listening to this? Oh my gosh. Oh, write in and tell us what the future's like. Yeah. Uh, we are having a, um, we are having an annual time travelers meet up yesterday. Uh, Always, every PM. yesterday <laughs> we meet up regularly on yep. yesterday at 4 p.m. Yep. Uh, so with, with this, I know we're, we're getting a little off topic when we're speculating here, but. I have to ask you, Matt, would you, could you ever see yourself living in a quiet zone like this?
1: Absolutely. Really? Yes. Why is that? Because if my Xbox 360 still works and I still have a bunch of games and I have my wife and I have my son and I have a drum kit, then, dude, I will be good to go. And if there's uh, copious amounts of wood to chop as, like, <laughs> a separate time consumption thing, yeah, I would I would live there in a heartbeat. So what do you um what but what do you
2: think the effect of that would be on your child? You know?
1: I think it would be incredible. Incredible. Yes. At letting him grow up not connected to all of this stuff, the the distractions that I have in my daily life, in my work life, in my home life. If I did, if he didn't have a cell phone with games on it that he could look down at every time he gets uncomfortable in public. I mean, this is all me projecting on my son. Um, but, I mean, this is just the way I feel. If, if For a long time, I didn't want to get a smartphone, and I fought against it for about four years uh, as the smartphones were coming out because I really felt like it was a distraction or something that I would just constantly be using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still feel that way. It worry, it worries me how much I depend on that kind of stuff or depend on YouTube videos mm-hmm. to, to watch and enter, entertain me while I'm trying to work or something like that. People, people do get addicted to cell phones. You realize mm-hmm. that. There, mm-hmm. The
2: studies show that there's a... Uh, Spike in the feel-good chemicals when you check something and it says, you know, you have an alert. Yeah, notifications, that kind of stuff. Noel Brown liked your
1: Instagram post.
2: Man, I I don't know why it's a warlock's voice,
1: but. Dude, and we do so much social media uh, for this show. I don't know if you guys realize how much work goes into maintaining our social media accounts. Um it's it's wonderful and communicating like having that open line of communication is essential and it's amazing and being able to get you know ideas from you guys and then talking to you it's I incredible. Hear a, I hear a butt coming. What's your butt? But the amount of almost obsession you have to have to keep up with it very well. Yeah. It's um it's daunting and again it makes me nervous about the future of humanity.
2: Well, I like it because I think overall it's a good thing. Overall, it is more humanizing to be able to say to someone in Thailand or in uh, what's another place to be Trinidad, mm-hmm. another place that begins with a T, someone in, in Trinidad, hears something someone in Thailand, hears something and they call somebody
1: in Tallahassee and they're like, whoa, that's amazing. Check this <laughs> out, Roger. And yeah, it's cool, but it's um, but it's also dehumanizing in the same way, I think.
2: It's, yeah, it is, it is arguable, but what we're doing is we're entering the, we're, just as people officially called this the age of man, the Anthropocene, mm-hmm. uh, we are entering the age of the machine mind. You know, we're entering the age where people, if, if there's, unless there's some civilization ending c- catastrophe, the people, born a few generations after your son's generation are going to be increasingly, increasingly melded with technology. It's just I inescapable. I mean, you. it may eventually be a Gatticus situation where it's considered a de facto crime not to use CRISPR on a child, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I look forward to that day. <clears throat> you look forward to running away to the quiet zone. For now, I'm going to train my boy to be... Uh, I don't know, some kind of agent of... I don't know. Maybe he's going to be a spy agent <laughs> and, and stop it from happening.
2: For an agency so mysterious that even he doesn't know who he works for, uh, the Subcommittee on Collected Remarks. Yep, that's right? it.
1: He's going to be the head of that stuff.
2: Well, speaking of social media, folks, well, I want to take a second and thank everybody for the fantastic suggestions we've been getting and some of the amazing stuff that mostly Matt has been finding for our Facebook page and Go there and check it out if you want to see a lot of stuff that may or may not make it to air. Uh, and sometimes it can be a little more topical. Sometimes it can be a uh, blast from the past. Or just strange, or just strange and unusual. We are conspiracy stuff at Facebook and Twitter, where you can uh, where you can talk to us directly, and you can also check out every audio podcast we have ever done, including the ones we mentioned earlier in this show, on our website
1: know dot com. And if you want to check out the video that we made for the National Quiet Zone. You can just go to our YouTube page. We are Conspiracy Stuff there as well. The video is titled, What's in the National Quiet Zone? You can check it out there. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, and you just want to write us something, maybe a suggestion, maybe a, hey, that was great, or, oh, that was bad. All you
2: have to do is take a copper bowl, three black candles, a piece of red chalk, and very carefully draw the following diagram. Sound a little bit complicated? No worries. If you can't find that or obey those instructions or the stars aren't right in your area of time and space, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are
1: Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com
0: $25 each.
1: Visit livenation.com concertweek to buy now. That's livenation.com concertweek to
0: buy now.